late afternoon when God spoke to me in a way that he had never spoken to me before. Now let me give you a little context. The previous month, April of 2005, I had told my church, I was a youth pastor in Catlettsburg, Kentucky, Oakland Avenue Baptist Church. I told the personnel committee that I was going to be resigning as youth pastor. I told them that I had taken the youth group as far as I could take them. And uh, sometime before the summer, probably, probably the end of May, I was going to be resigning. The truth is, I, I felt that I had taken them as far as I could because I was not healthy. I was not physically healthy. I wasn't mentally or emotionally healthy. I was not spiritually healthy. The reason I had taken them as far as I could was because I was not where I needed to be, and I was ready to quit. I was tired of church ministry, tired of getting hurt, frustrated, disappointed, and I had essentially quit already. I was going to go back to school. I was going to maybe become a Bible teacher. You know, God, this, I'll, I'll still teach the Bible, God. I'll just do it in a stuffy classroom with, you know, papers to grade and tests to give. And nothing wrong with that if that's what God's called you to do. But if that's not what God's called you to do, there's a problem. And for me, there was a problem. See, my heart was not where it needed to be. So I had planned on not pastoring anymore. That was my plan. My pastor, uh, Keith, was going out of town that weekend. It was Mother's Day, 2005. He was going to preach the morning service. He wanted me to preach the evening service. And I thought, well, this is it. This is my farewell to the ministry message. So Thursday, May 5th, 2005, as I was cutting the grass with my headphones on, listening to music, Probably why I have a hard time hearing today, because, you know, probably not the best thing to do when you're cutting the grass is to give more volume and noise to your ears, but live and learn. Trying to decide what I was going to preach on. I wanted it to be good because this is my farewell message, I thought. And God spoke to me. Now, understand that at this time in my life, I didn't think God still did that. That was not part of my theology. That was not, I didn't think God still spoke that way to people, and I certainly didn't expect him to speak to me. But out of the blue, I heard God say four words. Prepare your sermon tonight. I let go of the lawnmower. I took my earplugs out. I'm not going to lie to you. I was scared. I was a little freaked out. I'd never heard God speak to me like that. I didn't expect him to. I didn't think he still did. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I knew who was speaking. I said, okay, Lord. So I decided what I was going to preach on that Sunday. Got it pretty much finished. Went to bed that night. Didn't think a thing again about it. Saturday rolled around. It was a rainy Saturday, early evening. I thought, well, let me just polish that message up. You know, it's my last one. Wanted it to be good. 
got the message out, laying on the floor in my living room, and I was doing what I think some of you were doing, trying to decide what I was going to eat after church the next day. <laughs> I was going to have lunch with my pastor, Pastor Keith, and his wife, Debbie, and their son, Clark, who uh, we were going to celebrate Mother's Day together. Clark was in my youth group. He was a junior in my youth group at the time. He was the drummer for our praise team, which I led. And I got a phone call. Where am I going to have, what am I going to have tomorrow? I wonder where, are we going to go to Applebee's? What am I going to have for, what am I going to eat when I have uh, lunch with Keith and Debbie and Clark? And the phone rang. Clark was in an accident. Got to get to the hospital now. It was my dear friend Diane, who was our church secretary at the time. She said, you need to leave now. I said, okay, all right, okay. I, at first, I didn't think it was really that, I mean, it's Clark. It couldn't be that serious. Not that big of a deal. But as I'm driving to Huntington, West Virginia, I'm thinking, maybe this is more serious. Maybe I need to get, take this seriously. And so I got there as the life flight is landing, and I was there with his parents. As they wheeled him off with a helicopter, it has a happy ending, okay? The story has a happy ending. But that night, we didn't know. That night in the darkness, we didn't know if it was going to have a happy ending or not. It certainly didn't look like it was going to have a happy ending. And so we're gathered in the waiting room at the hospital. And people are filing in, people from church, people from Clark's school, his friends. Clark had been out racing. And the friends that were racing with him were there. And it wasn't fun anymore. And it, breaking the rules wasn't fun anymore because it was their friend who they didn't know if he was going to... They didn't even know, We didn't even know if he was still alive at that point. And someone comes out, another friend of mine came out, and she said, you know, this is critical. We, we, we can't even... We don't even know if he's still alive. The brain is so swollen. We don't even know if he's still alive, so we need to pray. And she, of course, looked at me because I was the preacher in the room. And I had nothing. I had nothing. I couldn't formulate a sentence to talk to God. And so another dear friend of mine, Jack, uh, one of our deacons, he might have even been the head deacon at the time, I don't remember, but I said, Jack, you got to pray. I got nothing. So Jack prayed, and I was there almost all night, about 3.30 in the morning, when my pastor came out, and he said, DJ, you got to preach in a couple hours. You need to go home, try to get at least an hour or two of sleep, which is about all I got that night. But as I'm driving home about 4 in the morning, May 8, 2005, God spoke to me again. And this time he said this. It was all he said. Do I have your attention now? I said, yes, Lord, you have my attention. So I got a little bit of sleep, got cleaned up, went to church, led worship, stood up to preach. I said, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame. It's about faith. See, I didn't know I was going to be preaching Sunday morning, but God had told me to get the message ready because I was ready. 
I had everybody's attention in a way that I n- never had that before. And I, I had enough, <laughs> I had enough that, that Sunday, not only for that Sunday morning and that Sunday night, but for the following Sunday night. Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to preach the same message that I preached 15 years ago. I don't even know where those notes are. They're probably on a CD-ROM somewhere that, I, that I've kept, but I don't even know if I still have those notes. And certainly, uh, this is a different situation. This is a different message, same text, different message. But I share that with you because I want you to understand how real these verses are to me, how critical these verses are to me, how special they are to me as part of my testimony, what I learned about faith 15 years ago. This morning, as I was getting ready to leave, I got a text from uh, a Facebook message from uh, another dear friend of mine, Anne, who was there, those services. She had no idea what I was preaching on this morning. Here's what she sent me. She sent me a picture of her Bible with the date. May 15, 2005, Hebrews chapter 11, DJ preached this text. Having no idea this is where we were going today. And it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Anne. We talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit working through us to say, I'm still speaking. I'm still speaking. Now we're talking about 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our series is really based out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which tells us that we are to let no one despise our youth or whatever reason people have for despising us. But Paul tells Timothy, Paul tells us to be thou an example. That word example uh, literally means uh, to be a type, to have a pattern, to be an example to the believers of... Uh, Speech, conversation, which means lifestyle, charity or love, spirit, which we talked about last weekend, faith. And as I was thinking about how do we show our faith, Hebrews chapter 11 came to my heart and mind. So just by very quick review, we have seen in the past few weeks that we are to be an example Our pattern of living should be an example of what a believer is to be like. That starts with our speech. It starts with our mouth. We have to practice what we preach. We talked about love. We talked about the fact that we need to love sacrificially the way that Jesus loved us on the cross. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. This is how love was manifested to us, that Jesus gave himself for us, and we need to give ourselves, our lives to each other, our time, our resources, our talents, our money. We need to serve one another sacrificially. We need to do it sincerely. Romans chapter 12, let love be without dissimulation or literally, more literally, without hypocrisy, which means that when we love a sinner, we're still to hate that sin. We're not to cling to the sinner so much that we ignore the sin. Paul says you have to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good as you love 
otherwise we love hypocritically. And then last week we talked about loving, uh, or excuse me, uh, being an example in spirit, which is really about loving others through using our spiritual gifts. But today, be an example in faith. Now, here's why this matters. We're actually going to spend probably more time in Hebrews chapter 10 today than in Hebrews chapter 11, but I want you to see verse 6. If you don't have this verse memorized, this is a good verse to start with today. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is how we live out our Christian lives. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. One phrase out of the Old Testament, out of one of the quote-unquote minor prophets, only minor because of the length of the message, not because of the importance of the message. But Habakkuk says this, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Paul takes that statement, and not only does he make it the centerpiece of the book of Galatians, he quotes it in Galatians, but he really builds the entire book of Romans on that truth statement. He says it, he shares it at the very beginning, Romans chapter 1, and really the, the rest of the book of Romans is really the unpacking of that one statement. The just shall live by faith. This is absolutely essential to growing in Christ. It's absolutely essential to, to knowing Christ. Without it, it is impossible to please God. But what does it actually mean? Let's define faith. As I was looking for illustrations and quotes uh, about faith for the message this morning and Lord willing next week as well, I came across a lot of quotes from so-called church fathers, not fathers of this church, but church fathers. And what some of them said was it, it was very catchy, it was good rhetoric, but it really wasn't biblically helpful. So what is faith? Well, the, word, the Greek word for faith literally means persuasion or to be persuaded. And by the way, you don't see this in English, but in the Greek, the word believe has as its root the word, the Greek word faith. They, don't, they sound nothing alike in English, but in Greek, they are essentially the same thing. That we, that we are uh, convinced that we have been persuaded. So I used to believe this, but I've been persuaded and now I understand this. I used to believe this about myself, but I've been persuaded and now I believe this. How do I get persuaded? Well, Romans 10 says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is being preached this morning, not just in this pulpit, but in many pulpits across the country, around the world. That by itself will not grow your faith. Are you hearing God? Are you listening to God's word? If you're hearing him, if you're listening, your faith can grow. Your faith can be born, for those of you who don't know Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing 
by the Word of God. So I used to believe this. I used to believe that I was okay, a good person. But God's Word convicted me, and I've been persuaded. Now I understand that I'm a sinner who is under condemnation. I'm destined for hell apart from an intervention. I used to believe this about Jesus. I used to believe that He was just a good person, a great teacher, a great moral example. But God's Word has convicted me, and I've been persuaded that He is the very Son of God, the perfect, sinless sacrifice that He gave Himself for our sins, as Galatians 1 says, to deliver us from the present evil age, that His sacrifice paid the sins once for all, Hebrews 10 says. And that now I can be forgiven because the sin is paid for. I just need to receive the forgiveness. How do I know the sin is paid for? The tomb is empty. The grave is empty. He is risen. And so He can offer me resurrection. He can offer me the hope of eternal life. I used to think when you died, you died. But God's Word has spoken to me. I've been persuaded. Now I understand that death is just the door at the end of this life that leads to the next life. And you better know which door you're going through and who's going to be waiting for you on the other side. So let's talk about faith. Faith has a context. God gives us context for this persuasion. So I want you to go back with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read a chunk of Hebrews chapter 10 and then we're going to make a few quick comments about it and then we'll jump into Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm going to read a chunk of it uh, and then we'll jump into some, uh, some explanation. We'll do a little bit of unpacking. Let's pick it up just in, in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of the, these is, there is no more offering for sin. You don't need to be forgiven for what God's already paid for. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say through, through his flesh, through his, the, his death on the cross, his shedding of his blood. And having an high priest, Jesus Christ, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, this is more real for us 
2,000 years after this was written than it was even in the first century. But a certain fearful looking for, excuse me, um, verse 26, for if we sin willfully after that which we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two, of th- two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. His people there specifically in context being the nation of Israel. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by the reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while... and. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, what is faith? Faith is the substance, chapter 11, verse 1, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Now, let me say very quickly five things about faith. The context of being persuaded. Number one, biblical faith is Christ-centered faith. This is not faith in yourself. I've, I've heard a wolf in pastor's clothing say that from the pulpit, not this pulpit, praise God, but from another pulpit. That faith, when Bible talks about faith, it's talking really about you need to have faith in yourself. Heresy. Faith is Christ-centered. Biblical faith is Christ-centered. It's not faith in self. It's not faith in your works. It's not faith in your baptism. It's not faith in your church attendance. It's not faith in how much you give. It's faith in Jesus Christ. This is, by the way, what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, the context of our series here is 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, verse 14, Paul says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Biblical faith is Christ-centered faith. Number two, biblical faith is saving faith. It's saving faith. It begins with receiving the once for all sacrifice that we just read about in Hebrews chapter 10. For sins made by the resurrection, the sacrifice for sins that Jesus Christ made, the resurrected Jesus Christ has paid my sin debt. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he that believes is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's such a worse sinner than everybody else. No, that's not what Jesus said. Because his sins weren't really paid for. That's not what Jesus said. He that believeth not is condemned already, Jesus said, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, sin is paid for. 
Will you receive the payment? That is the question. If you have not yet received the payment for your sin, then you are not forgiven. You need to believe. You need to receive. Romans 10, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have never confessed your sin to Jesus Christ, if you have never received the forgiveness that he has already purchased for you, you need to do that today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for the invitation. Do it now. I don't care if you're here in the room. I don't care if you are watching. When you're watching, do it now. Today is the day of salvation. The day is not going to last forever. Amen. Judgment is coming. Today is the day of salvation. Biblical faith is saving faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the only and all-sufficient payment for sin and in his resurrection. Biblical faith is Christ-centered. It's saving faith. Number three, biblical faith, though, as we have seen, is living faith. Salvation is not the finish line. Salvation is the starting line. Faith is not what you need until you get saved. Faith is what you need when you begin your walk with Christ until you see Him face to face. When we see Him, we will be like Him, 1 John 3 says, because we'll see Him as He is. We won't need faith anymore. Faith is temporary, but it's not until you get saved. It's temporary until you see him. So you need saving faith. You need living faith. What is living faith? Well, we read about it in, at the end of chapter 10. It is confident endurance of conviction. The confident endurance of, it, of conviction demonstrated by stubborn obedience in the face of opposite opposition, in the face of affliction, in the face of the unknown. I know what God has promised me. I'm going to obey him even though I can't see him, even though I don't understand why this is a rule. I don't think this should be a rule. Why does God care about this? Faith says I'm going to obey even when I don't understand. Amen. I'm going to obey even when it's not popular. I'm going to obey even when people don't want to be friends with me because of my faithful obedience and conviction of what God says. That's living faith. That's the faith that will please God. And he's the only one you need to please. You can please me. You can please your family. You can please your mama. But if you're not pleasing Jesus Christ, and by the way, Galatians 1.10 says you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to be a God-pleaser or a man-pleaser. You're going to have to make a choice. Make it now. Make it now before you're forced to make the wrong one. Because not choosing is choosing, by the way. Christ-centered faith, saving faith, living faith, promise-driven faith. Why do I obey God? It's not just fear of punishment. It's the hope of the promise of God. He that believeth in him... He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11, 6 says. Yes, judgment. Yes, we want, we want to receive the forgiveness so we don't have to suffer judgment. Absolutely. But that's not the only reason that we live by faith. We live by faith because God is a rewarding God. Because of his love, his goodness, his character. He deserves to be trusted. He can be trusted. He has proven his faithfulness. Amen. We forget. We need reminded. 
Hebrews 11 is here to remind us. Faith, biblical faith, acts on God's promises as present realities. So, walking by spirit, last week we talked about what do you do uh, to make the invisible visible. I mean, I use the magnet as an illustration of how you can make an invisible force visible by how it interacts and how it affects. And so the Holy Spirit becomes visible in that as we use our spiritual gifts, he, he's, manifest, he's manifested. But what do you do when the invisible stays invisible? What do you do when you don't see any effects? You walk by faith. And you focus on the promises of God. And you keep going. And you keep trusting that he will reward you. Biblical faith is promise-driven. Biblical faith, lastly, is essential faith. It's essential to pleasing God and to growing in him. This is essential. You wanna, if you want to be saved, you need faith. You need to place your faith in Jesus Christ, in his death, his resurrection, and then when you do that, if you want to please him, if you want to grow, you want God to use your life, if you want to have a life of eternal significance, if you want to make a difference, not just for the next 50 years, but the next 50 billion years, you need to walk by faith. You need to trust God's promises. You need to obey his laws even when you don't understand, even when it's opposed, even when there is affliction, as uh, Hebrews 10 talks about. Cast not away, therefore, verse 35, your confidence. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, we're going to talk just briefly about some ways that we display faith because this series is all about setting an example. We need to understand what faith is. We need to define it. But then the point of this is that we need to display it. So we're going to begin. We're not going to, we're not going to even crack Hebrews chapter 11, okay? We're just going to scratch the surface. But we're going to begin to look at some of the steps that God wants us to take by faith that will manifest our faith in such a way that others we'll be able to see it, that it'll be visible. So we have examples that are given to us in Hebrews chapter 11 that we can imitate so that others can imitate us. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, again, we're just going to scratch the surface here this morning. We'll, we'll get more into this next week. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we have not only a chronology, a walk back through time, where, where the writer takes us back to the beginning and walks us through time. But we're also going to see how our faith is to grow. We're also going to see a formula for growing in our faith. So there's a chronology here, but there's also a formula. You need to start with point one and then go to point two and go to point three. Okay, so let's just read the first couple verses of Hebrews chapter 11 again. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So let's talk about some testimonies we should be modeling. We may not get through all four of these today. I just read the first three. But let's talk about some testimonies of faith that we can model so that others can see our faith and follow our example as we follow the examples laid down for us. By the way, none of these people are perfect. None of these people are sinless. There's only one perfect example. That's Jesus Christ. We follow his example ultimately. But we also can look at imperfect examples around us, certainly in the pages of Scripture, is where we need to start and imitate the things that God wants us to imitate. Learn from the mistakes that everyone but Jesus makes and imitate their faith. So, number one, what's the first testimony of faith? It begins here. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The first testimony of faith in verse 3, believe God's word unconditionally. Believe God's word unconditionally. By faith, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. The world did not evolve. There was not nothing that became something when it exploded into everything. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, God spoke until day six, when God got down on his hands and knees in service, in mercy, in love, and in grace, and he took Adam and he formed him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed life into his nostrils. And then from Adam, he took a rib. He did the same thing with Eve so that we are created, yes, of the dust of the earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but we are filled with the very life that God has given us, created in his image. You have to believe that unconditionally. Our belief in the biblical account of creation is where it all begins. Now, not every Christian believes the biblical account of creation. It's not an issue of your salvation, but it is an issue of your consistency. It is an issue of your testimony. It is an issue of how limited or how unlimited your faith is going to be. It starts with believing what God says. The scientists change all the time, change the stories all the time. Nobody believes really what Darwin taught anymore. They, they believe what they call neo-Darwinism. They'd say, well, he had some really good ideas and we were going to work. Listen, science is changing all the time. Will you believe the biblical account? Will you believe God's word? Peter says this is one of the marks of the end times in 2 Peter chapter 3. Scoffers are going to come. And one of the things that they're going to scoff about, and by the way, the context of 2 Peter chapter 2 and 3 is false teachers within the church, not from the world. 
the context is within the church, that people are going to scoff the biblical account of creation and they're going to scoff the global flood of Noah. Peter said it's going to happen. It's going to be a mark of the end times. False teachers are going to do that, and we're seeing it today. So the application here, like Timothy, I must trust God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Let me jump over there real quick. Again, this is just a few verses before our, um, our central text. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. We've got to believe God's word. We've got to believe God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 20, Paul warns Timothy that we need to avoid some things. He says, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. Hundreds of years ago, thousands, almost 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this, and it was translated hundreds of years ago. Science falsely so called, more real today, more true today, if possible, than it was when Paul penned it. We're seeing it in our very lifetime. Will you trust God's word? If I can't trust God's version of the past, how can I trust his promises of the future? There's some inconsistency there. Again, I'm not saying it's a salvation issue. I'm not telling you we want you to leave. I hope that you stay if you disagree with me. But this is an issue of testimony. This is an issue of our testimony. Do we believe God's word? Let's look at verse 4. We need to believe God's word unconditionally. uh, Verse 4, number 2, we need to accept God's righteousness exclusively. Accept God's righteousness exclusively. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. The sacrifice itself was superior. How he offered it was superior because he offered it by faith. But the sacrifice itself was superior. Cain offered a blood sacrifice. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Cain offered what was convenient. The fruit that he harvested. Now, nothing wrong with fruit sacrifices, but fruit sacrifices are in the Bible. But... How do we pay for sin? In the Old Testament, sin could only be covered. It couldn't be removed. Hebrews tells us that. You you can't remove sin with the blood of an animal. It could only be covered in God's mercy and God's grace. But blood was required. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so Abel's testimony still speaks to us today, the writer says. He's still speaking. He died because his brother murdered him and his brother murdered him over this issue jealousy self-righteousness i'm going to god you want a blood sacrifice cain said i'm going to give you a blood sacrifice hatred in his heart not dealing with his sin the only way you can deal with your sin is by 
blood sacrifice. And we living on the other side of the cross trust in the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the example of Abel still speaking to us about how we receive God's righteousness, how we receive forgiveness of sins, the application, I must trust in the blood of Jesus alone to receive his forgiveness. We've looked at Romans chapter 3 the past couple Sunday nights. I'd encourage you uh, to read through Romans chapter 3. Paul talks about our sin condition. He talks about our inability to save ourselves. And then he talks about the grace, the righteousness that is provided by Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, the only way you can get that righteousness is by faith. Abel is an example of that. Believe God's word unconditionally. Accept God's righteousness exclusively. And we'll close with this one today. Obey God's rules counter-culturally. Obey God's rules counter-culturally. Enoch is the example that God gave to us here. Enoch walked with God in such closeness that God actually translated him. God actually raptured him before coming judgment. Enoch is actually a type of the church. He's a picture that before God sends judgment, he removes the righteous, those who walk with God. And if you're a Christian, whether you're walking with God well or not, Jesus is coming back for you too, all right? And if you don't know Jesus, after we're all gone, judgment is coming. Don't wait for that. Don't wait till, till the church is empty because we're all in with Jesus. Get right with God now. But those of us who are right with God, we need to please God. We need to Go against what the culture says is acceptable. Amen. Doesn't matter what public opinion says. It doesn't matter what you get patted on the back for. What pleases God? When you read Genesis chapter 6, you find out that almost the entire world population was incredibly wicked. Making what we're dealing with today minor by comparison. Now things are bad, and biblically we know things are going to get worse. But even in that cu culture of universal wickedness, Enoch walked with God. He didn't walk the way that his neighbors walked. He didn't walk the way that his culture walked. And so I must walk with God. I must reject the world system. You want to walk by faith? You want to be an example? Don't just go with the flow. Our life should look different. People should see that we're, what we do is to please God. It's not just about how we dress. It's not just about superficial things. It's not even just about sitting in, in a room like this on a morning like this. Because many people are doing this in churches where Jesus isn't even being preached. So this is not, we're, we're not talking about the, the ritual. We're talking about the relationship. Am I walking with God? Can people see that I really am trying to please God by what I'm doing? One of the only good things about all that's going on in our culture is it's becoming more and more clear what side of, what side of the fence you're on. That, uh, as it's been called, the mushy middle, that, that mushy middle is going away. And you're going to need to make a choice. And our brothers and sisters in California are getting ready to make a choice. 
So we need to pray for them as we close. You're going to follow Jesus like Enoch. You're going to follow culture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the examples of these men. We've only looked at two of them today, God, Abel and Enoch. Not, not sinless, not perfect, but men who loved you, who were obedient to you, who walked with you by faith. God, we need to understand what faith is all about. We need to understand how important it is to you so that we understand how important it is to us. God, help us to follow these examples and the examples, Lord willing, that we'll see next week. To be men and women of faith whose lives are worthy of imitation. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.